This podcast is brought to you by MicroSky, your one-stop shop for IT and computer services. Now, I've been a customer of these guys for years, and here's why. They make things easy. My computer had died. They came, picked up my computer, recovered all my data, and then set me up with a new computer in three days. Fully loaded, I just press the on button and I'm ready to go. Made my life super, super easy. Now, they don't only specialize in computer repair. They also specialize in cloud backup, data recovery, cybersecurity, and IT support plans. Do not be like me. Do not wait until your computer dies to get in touch with these guys. Visit microskyms.com slash contact. Microsky, that's S-K-Y-M-S.com slash contact. If you want a free month of cloud backup, make sure you put AT2020 in the referred by field in the contact form. Again, that's AT2020. Do not wait like I did. Contact them today. All right, everybody, welcome to another advanced training podcast. Today is a special one. This is one that Coach Neville from Tottenville has been asking for a long time. We have what I would call an offensive slash coaching legend in New York City, sorry, New York City public high school football, maybe just New York City football in general. We have Coach Maracondo. Coach Maracondo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Coach Mahoney. Thanks, George. I'm really happy to be here. So, Coach, I got to admit, you know, I haven't been coaching at Tottenville long. But originally, when Coach Sarno was asking me to come help out at Tottenville and Coach Neville was asking me to co- come hang out at Tottenville, co- coach at Tottenville, I was a little nervous because I knew that I was an acquired taste. Uh, I knew I had some, some background of some stupid slash crazy things that I had done. And you were a guy that I had never really met, but I've heard of since I was a little kid. So for mm-hmm. those that don't know, when I left St. Joseph by the Sea to go to college, Coach Maraconda came in after I left and coached offense there. And I was so jealous because all the guys are saying, oh, man, this coach came in. He's awesome. And he, just, he was really turned around things with our offense that really was not good when I was there. And he made him great when I left. And then he had this just legendary history at Tonville High School being awesome. And I was like, I don't know if I can go coach there because this guy might think I'm a total loon and not want to coach with me. So my first question to you is, you know, you, I don't think we've ever really met. But the first second we met, Coach Neville talked about going for it on fourth down, not punting. And you're like, yeah, I'm all in. So yeah. what, what makes you such an open-minded coach, given the, the success that you've had in the past? I, I think that, you know, just being like kind of in the education field, you know, the, the, you should always be looking to learn, looking to grow, looking to kind of find, you know, new ideas. Because if you don't do, if you're not doing that, then you're kind of, you know, you're stagnant. You're not going to, you're not going to go anywhere, you know. Um, you know, even talking about going back to like what you said when I coached at C, like, if I was still running that offense in 96, which is a long time ago, right? You know, we probably wouldn't score a point now. Things just change, things grow. And, you know, you have to grow with that. Otherwise, you're going to be kind of stuck, stuck in the past. So, it, and I, I, knew, I knew of, you know, who you were, of course, and, you know, your intellect. And I know, you know, and, and you know, you telling me that, you know, there are times when, you know, we, it'll probably be better to go for it on fourth than to punt. I knew it wasn't just because you thought it was a great idea or it sounded good. There was going to be reasons behind it. There was going to be proof behind it. There was going to be data behind that. And I'm, I'm and I'm all in on that. You know, I'm, I'm a, a, a data guy, like, you know, and, you know, I'm a money ball type guy, you know, and I love money ball. That kind of got me into a little, little bit of data going back to, you know, you know, I love baseball as well. And, you know, so that stuff like intrigues me. And, and now you were bringing that and I was intrigued. So that that's really what it, what it became, what it came down to. 
And that's usually the hardest sell is to the offensive coordinator, like maybe so the defensive coordinator, but hey, yeah. we're gonna take we're gonna take some decision making out of your hands and put it in this crazy tool and say, Yep, it's better to go for it on fourth and ten yeah. from our own 35 yard line. Now, when we first talked about it, were you like, This is crazy? I wanna see it, or were you like, Nope, let's just do it. This this sounds right. No, I, I definitely wanted to understand why, but I was open to listening to understanding why, you know, all I really want to want to know is like, are we going to do it? What do I need? What do I need to prepare for? Am I preparing to go for, you know, um, to go for it on fourth in certain situations? I, I want to know that once I, I'm, I know that I'm going to do that and I, and I prepare myself to, you know, what I want to do in those particular situations, I'm fine with it. You know, and, and I feel like, you know, what you were giving, us and you know the, the information that you were giving us and, and and the you know the analytics behind it I was sold so we knew this before we were going into the season so now to me I'm going to be prepared for those situations you always let me know about it way beforehand probably as soon as we get into a certain you know part of the field even if it's first down you're saying okay fourth and six or, or less we're going now I know that's all I, I just need to know it you know, I probably would if, you know, would have been more annoyed if we were in the situation of a game and it's third and six, we don't get it. And now you're saying, oh, Joe, we got to go for it here. We, you know, the, you know, the data tells us to go. You're not doing that at the, you know, on fourth down. You're giving me that information way before we get into that fourth down, you know, um, that fourth down situation. So, so that's all that's I'm fine with that then. That's just a bad guy if they're telling you as fourth downs approaching, uh, we're going for it on fourth down. Or in my opinion, to a bad guy is, oh, by the way, we just scored. We're going for two. Good luck. Right, Go right. For exactly. Like, you know, yeah, don't give me like, – just give me a little heads up. And, you know, I'm doing this long enough now where you can kind of give me information as I'm doing other things. So I'm hearing you in, in, you know, in the headsets kind of while I'm in the middle of giving a play call or thinking about what I want to do on second down. You're telling me, you know, like I said, on first down, you're telling me, all right, where we are in the field, we're going to go for it, you know, on fourth. And like I said, less than six, I'm just throwing that out there. There's other scenarios you always give me, but you know, again, I, I'm not going to get distracted by that because I've been doing this long enough. So as long as I have it in my head, all right, I know now if it's fourth and less than six, I have to have a play ready. I'm good with that. So we talked about your open mind and your ability to learn. Like I'm sitting in on defensive meetings and you're sitting in on them too. You know, we're, we're yeah. learning a new defense now. Yeah. What, what's your reason for that? Is that because you have interest in defense or you're interested in beating a defense? You know, I, I really have interest in defense as an, as an offensive coordinator, not to, you know, at this point in my career, you know, I'm probably, I'm never, I'm going to say confidently never going to go over and coach defense, you know, but I want to know what, the defensive side of the ball is thinking, you know, so I, you know, even talking about yesterday, right. We were on that zoom and I'm looking at film of, you know, what the, what that coach is, is, is doing, you know, with his, you know, in this case, right. It was a three, three, you know, and I'm looking and I'm trying to say, okay, if I saw this, what would I do to defeat it? And listen, on paper, whoever has the pen last always is going to win. So as I'm watching the film, you know, and I'm kind of thinking about, all right, this play would work. This play would work. I see the safety going over the top towards the offensive left. 
if I see that safety going over the top of the offense's left, I'm running right. You know, I'm going away from the blitz. So I'm seeing all this. And again, it's simple when I'm, I have the opportunity to kind of just sit in front of a screen and look at it. It's obviously harder when you're going and you're in the moment, but that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to look at it, learn from it, hear what the defensive side of the ball is thinking. Why are they doing that? What are they looking to stop? What are they looking to do? And then come up with ways to defeat that. So if I have a deep team that we're playing that runs a three, three, Okay, I could now I could kind of have that information that I got in December and use that, you know, during the season. So that that's kind of like why I always want to even learn about defense. Now, what about offensively? Where do you go for your new sources of information? Well, in the past, you know, because, again, I've been doing this forever. You know, you would go down to the Glacier clinics, but in person in AC. Right. We would spend weekends down there going to clinics and and learning and listening to different coaches. I think now it's obviously it's much easier. You just go on YouTube, you type something in and there's like, you know, 20, 30 videos on it. So, so that's kind of what I do nowadays is I'll just kind of like, you know, we wanted to, for instance, we wanted to, um, you know, try to get our screen game going a little bit better this year. So I went online, looked at different, you know, ways to run like a tunnel screen, found one I really liked. And we, we implemented it and I thought it worked well. Um, so that's really what I'm doing now. I'm just really just using the internet. Like it, it's, it's, it's very nice. I do miss the Atlantic city trips, but you know, you, it, those trips are easier when you're young and single and don't have kids and you know what I mean? But so, so having, having YouTube now is, is very convenient to, to learn things. Now, again, I've been at Tottenville probably less than a year. But in my personal opinion, it seems like Coach Neville has no limit as to what he would allow us to do. Me yeah. as a special teams coach, has, has he always been like that or is this just yeah. a new thing? Well, I mean, you know, he always like, you know, he came when I his first year coaching was um, the year before I kind of went back to Tomville. So I was at Tomville in 97 and then left and went to Farrell for a few years and then came back in 02, you know, and and. Uh, you know, Coach Neville's first year coaching, just coaching was 01. So when I came in, you know, he, you know, we met and, you know, I was, you know, with the OC and he kind of, you know, he learned from me and he eventually took over as the OC. But I think, you know, knowing me from, from that time when we coached together before I kind of got sick and stopped coaching, um, he trusts me and trusts my knowledge that, you know, he, you know, he, he, he feels comfortable with kind of allowing me to do what I think is right. He knows I'm there for the program. I'm there for him. I'm loyal to him. And, you know, so he tried, but I, and I think it's a trust issue, especially with coach Neville, like he's, if he trusts you, then he's going to be all in. If he doesn't, then he's, you know, kind of standoffish and, you know, won't allow that. So I think it becomes more of, you know, getting to, he needs to get to know you. He needs to trust you. And then if that's the case, then he'll allow you to kind of do, do whatever and not second guess it. Yeah, there's times where uh, I, th I thought I was crazy. And then he's telling me I'm too conservative. I'm like, well, yeah. this guy is pushing boundaries that I was never even able to push, which I think is also, he's like bringing things out of me that I'd even know I thought I could want to do on, on a football field. Yeah. He's again, he's into, again, in, you know, in, in the education field and, you know, wants to learn, wants to do new things, see what works. If you stay stagnant, then you're not going to grow. And I think he's in that same mindset.
but you touched on it a little bit. I want to get into your coaching career. So a question that he had for you, and I want to get into this is, you know, why aren't you coaching at Farrell? I think you have a good relationship with the Farrell coaches. I believe you went to Farrell. How did you end up, how did you start at C, go to Farrell, end up at Tom? So, so it goes back a little further, I'd say. Like, you know, I started at Newdorp, like where I taught for 15 years. You know, when I was at St. John's and, you know, I was going to become a high school teacher, you had, you could pick what high school that you wanted a student teach at. So I was living in Jersey already. My parents had moved there right after I graduated from Farrell. So you would think Tottenville would kind of be the obvious choice, closer, right over the bridge. But the reason why I got into education to begin with was because I wanted to coach football. So I'm not looking at this as anything else except coaching. And I had known some Newdorp coaches because my uncle, my uncle Dan Boylan, coached at Newdorp in the 80s, was a Newdorp player. So I knew Coach Avina, who was teaching there still. He wasn't coaching, but he was he was in the building. And Joe Tetley, who was the head coach at the time, I, I knew them. So I said, I'm going to go to student teach at Newdorp because I really want to get in as far as coaching goes, and they'll kind of know who I am. So that's how I ended up there. So now after a couple of years there, Joe Tetley retires. So now I'm kind of in limbo. Chris App comes in, who I love, is a great guy, but like anyone else, he wants his own guys in there. He wants to bring in his own guys. So, you know, I wasn't going to have the role that I wanted to have. So now I needed to kind of look elsewhere. So this is, you know, 95 was, was my last year at Newdorp when, you know, when Coach Tetley's last year. So now we're going into 96 season, you know, and I go to my uncle and I kind of ask him for some advice. Where should I do? I really, you know, don't want to stay here because I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to grow here and I'm not going to have the role I wanted to go to, you know, and say, and, and at Farrell, there really wasn't, a, you know, I did look into Farrell to go in there. Obviously my first choice to go to, if it wasn't going to be staying at Newdorp and they really didn't have a spot for me, you know, so I didn't want to kind of like, you know, push my way in there. Um, you know, coach Paul DeSanto was still the OC. And so it wasn't really a spot for me. So, I, he said to me, he said, listen, Joe Ryan is at C. The program kind of just started. He's, he's new there. He needs people. So go down and talk to him. So I did. And Joe was great. And he kind of said, you know, listen, we, we are looking for coaches. You want to come on here and kind of give you the reins of the offense. And, and that's how I ended up at C. And I had no plans on going anywhere after, you know, after one year at C. A lot of those kids at C, you know, they were, they, they were, they were young. They, a lot of the team in 96 were juniors, you know, so, and they were great kids. We had a great season and I would have loved to stay and kind of finish the year and just stay at C. I loved it there, but I had the opportunity to go to Tottenville, you know, in 96, Jimmy was Munson, you know, who was actually, was actually the offensive coordinator, not because he's known for his defense for good reason, but he was actually the offensive coordinator in 96 and Dom Lapori, who is now the head coach of Benalapin and, you know, he left after the 96 season, he leaves and goes to New Jersey to work and start coaching in Jersey. So Jimmy now going into the 97 season says, I'm going back to the defensive side of the ball. I need, I want, I need someone to do the offense. And Joe Tetley, again, who was going to probably my biggest mentor and, you know, uh, at, at the time, you know, and, and he was really like in my corner for me, gives Jimmy, says, listen, you should really consider this kid, Joe Maracondo, who coached me in 95. And I knew Jimmy, Jimmy knew me. And, uh, 
you know, I think he's, he's young, but he's, he's, you know, he's ready to work. He'll put in whatever you need to do. And um, so Jimmy had called me and asked me to go there. And it was a tough decision to leave C because again, those kids were great. Maddie Caldwell, you know, like those were just a great group that you all know and played with. Uh, but I said, you know, and again, I called up to my, I went to my uncle, what should I do here? You know, I love it here at C, but I have an opportunity at Tomville, a more established program, a city kind of contender, like, you know, and he said, you got to go to Tomville. You know, this is a good opportunity for you. So I did. So I left C, went to Tottenville. So coach, one second. Coach yeah. Munson was the head coach and the offensive coordinator of Tottenville when you went there? Yeah. So he, yeah. So he was the head coach and he was always a defensive guy. But in 96, I don't know why. I'm not sure. He moved to the offensive side of the ball for one year only. And then when Coach Lapore left, he moved back to defense and was a defensive coach from 97 on. Um, and so he had, he said, you know, I'm going to go back to defense. I'm going to look for an offensive coordinator. And then that's how I ended up ended up going there. It's crazy how history gets distorted. First off, I'd never heard of Coach Munson being an offensive guy until I yep. started coaching with him at Wagner, and he just yeah. started becoming an offensive guy. Yeah. And I thought you were at C for like 30 years because of the legend of Coach Maraconda. <laughs> you keep saying this. I don't know what, you know, what you're hearing this from. I'm um, you know, from legendary, believe me. I'm in college. Play. I'm all jealous. My senior team, my, my varsity, I won one game on varsity. So people that don't know the history of St. Joseph by the Sea and why this is so yeah. important. I'm on the first ever St. Joseph by the Sea football team. Yeah. We have a, get into a varsity season, my third year in the school. So now it's a bunch of juniors, uh, a bunch of sophomores, and no seniors, maybe like two or three, and we get uh -huh. killed. We don't win a game. Right. We're going to our senior year. We have even less juniors because all those kids either get thrown out of the school or quit. And now we have to bring up all these sophomores to play varsity football who are going to become the juniors that Coach Maricon is talking about. Correct. And they're all really good football players. Matt yeah, Caldwell, Melanti, uh, yep. GM Papa. Like the team is stacked. Uh, Trudalone. But they, we knew they were going to be good, but they took a beating and we as, as sophomores starting on varsity and we Absolutely. only won one game. I go to college and all I'm hearing about from Caldwell and, you know, Trudalone is – Oh, this guy Maraconda is a guru, and we're scoring all these points. <laughs> and guru. I hate everybody. I was just bitter, and I'm bitter about it. like what was going on? We scored no points. So, you know, I was going. I went in there kind of blind. You know, I, I learned. You know, when I was at Newdorf in '95, um, you know, I, it was my first year on varsity. I had helped out in '94 on the JV, but I was still in college. Just when I was student teaching. And, you know, so I was still working at Champ Sports at the Freehold Mall, so I couldn't give, you know, full time, I wasn't there every day, but I finally got, I get the job in 95 teaching in Newdorf, so now Coach Tetley brings me up to varsity, I'm just a quarterback coach, Coach Tetley's the offensive coordinator, but seeing like the running, again, it was called the run and shoot back there, right, not really the spread, it was a completely different offense really than, than you know, you see nowadays, but I was intrigued by it, I was intrigued by the no huddle, like how do they calling these plays without a huddle? Like what? So what ends up happening is in 1995, Newdorf has the Fugazi game. So at that time, we really had a young staff. So Tetley didn't really want us to coach, you know, the game. So what he did was he had he was the head coach, but he ended up bringing all the Tottenville coaches over to run the defense. That's where I met Coach Lapori, Coach Munson, Coach Manos, and he had the Wagner coaches come over and coach the offense so at now so now again i'm just want to suck in information i just want to learn you know football so now the wagner coaches are there again wagner was really good in 95 
they end up winning this, this city championship. And, you know, so I was at every Fugazi practice, just watching and listening and learning after practice. I would ask, there's two guys, Steve Vella, who just passed, you know, he sadly just passed away was a big, you know, teacher of mine to help me learn the offense. And another coach his name is John Monfaletto, who ends up moving to Pennsylvania, you know, became very friendly with him. I'm just look like after practice was over, asking them questions. How do you do this? Why do you do this? After the Fugazi Bowl was done, I asked Vela, can you, can you teach me more? Can you teach me more? He would have, he would say no problem. You know, we would meet at Newdorp because he was very friendly with Tetley and he would go over stuff. So I learned a lot from them, but that's all, that was it for me. That's all. I only knew kind of what I just learned. So going to see was a great opportunity because it was a new program. But if you really, if I look back on it now, like I really didn't know much at all. Like I had just kind of learned the run and shoot. And, you know, so it's funny that they say like I was a guru. I really knew nothing. Luckily, we did have success and it helped me, you know, again, it kind of put me on the radar a little bit with Jimmy Munson to, to come over there because we did do well. And a lot of it had to do with the kids. Like you said, they were really, were a lot of, we had a lot of good players on that team. But, um, but I was very, very far from, from a guru. Don't forget, I only started coaching two years earlier. I was 94 on the JV part-time, 95 as a QB coach. And now 96, I'm an offensive coordinator, just kind of like out of nowhere. So, you know, I was kind of learning on the fly and, you know, looking back and thinking about some of the things I did in 96, it's almost like cringeworthy. Like, I'm like, oh, I did that. You know, I didn't know much about fronts and things like that. I was kind of teaching myself after, you know, once the season started, so, you know, it's funny that you say that they, was, they would say I was like a guru because I believe me, I was really far, far from a guru. Well, that's not what I heard when I was in college. So <laughs> but that's what they what think. That's fine. When you're 16, 17, you kind of like have a different outlook. And we were winning games. So you're winning games. You All of a sudden, you become a guru, right? So for the people that don't know nothing about nothing, what is the difference between a run and shoot offense from 1996 and the, the spread offense right yeah. now? Well, I think, I think the main thing, like a couple of things different, obviously like the amount of shotgun that, that you're in now was not the, the case back then. I think that a lot of the, the zone read is something that we never really did back then. And I think, you know, just offense in general, I think even back then was kind of like, you know, you were North South back then. It was, if you were going East West, that was, you know, that was a no, no, you know, now that's really, you know, a big part of the spread is kind of going east west and spreading the field out a little bit more. Um, you know, so I think those were the three main things that, you know, if you, again, if you look back, even like again, Wagner was just, a, you know, just crushing people with the offense. It was kind of like you looked about, you could probably look at the Wagner offense in 95, 96, where I learned a lot of what I know. Um, you know, you look at it back at it now, it's kind of probably very vanilla, you know, not a lot of motion, you know, not, a, you know, just kind of like, you know, it, it's definitely a big difference between now and then. And that's why you need to always kind of learn and grow. Because if I was running, that's like I said, if I was running that same offense that I ran at C now against, say, a Curtis or an Erasmus, you're not, you may not get a first down, you know, so, so I think that's, that's important. And with the run and shoot, there literally was a no huddle all the time, right? Like it was just quick, quick. That was quick. a big thing, the no huddle, not necessarily hurry up, certainly not hurry up. Like the tempo was not really like a big part of it as it is now. Um, but, you know, again, you, you know, the, the, the verbiage they used was, was different 
you know, we just, I'm just kind of saying two words to get all a play, sometimes only one word, you know, then he went into the, like, you know, the wristbands or you would call a number out and everyone would look at their wristband and that was a way to do things for a while. And that kind of like annoyed me. I, I, I that, just, you know, just kind of got under my skin and I hated that. You know, when I got back to Tottenville, um, you know, after I stopped coaching for a little while there, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to use wristbands anymore. It just bothered me that like having to, you know, having to look down at the wristband, just, you know, slow things down. I just didn't know it was unnecessary. And Jimmy was very nervous about that. He would, you know, he would say, if he ever like was kind of questioning me, he would always say things to Brian, to Neville. He would say, Brian, why are you not using wristbands? I want wristbands. And Neville would be like, just ask Joe. I don't know. Why are you asking me this? He'd be OC. <laughs> but he would never ask me. He would just kind of like give, be annoyed, tell Brian. But we, we never had an issue and you could see it now. Like, you know, you know, really not many teams use wristbands anymore, but I hate the wristband. And, you know, so again, everything is kind of, you know, moved, even, even that, even that part of it, how you call the plays in. So when you were running the run and shoot at yeah. the same time, were there yeah. still teams running like the wishbone offense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, even when I went to Farrell, you know, after, after Tottenville in 97, you know, I go to Farrell, another school, right? I went from like, I was at four schools in four years. We were probably the only, I know Farrell had run it previous, you know, when they won in 91. So they were one of the first teams to run it on the island. And then Wagner and Tottenville and Curtis to a little bit of an extent, you know, in the mid nineties. Um, but you go to Farrell in 98. Now I'm there. There was really, I, I don't think there was any other team running it except for us. Uh, you know, Mount was very good back then. They were in the wishbone, you know, St. Anthony's was the team dominant team back then. Uh, and they were in the army double wing, you know, so not many teams were really doing that, especially in the Catholic league. No one was really doing it. So what made you go from Tottenville to Farrell? <laughs> so again, so now it's, you know, I go to Tottenville and I really, really learn a lot from, from Jimmy, you know, Jimmy, as far as him being, you know, he's a defensive guru, the best, you know, he's probably like my main influence coaching just everything in general, but he's a defensive guru, but he obviously knows offense. So, you know, we would stay, I would stay like on a, on a Monday night and me and Jimmy, you know, like I said, different, it's a different now, but back then, what, in 97, I'm 25 years old, you know, I'm 25 coaching single. Like I said, I was there, me and him were there on Mondays to like 11 o'clock at night. And we would just go over stuff and do, you know, he would, he taught me so much about offense that that's kind of, you know, I, so I learned a lot. So we ended up winning the championship in 97, uh, you know, and that's the best experience and feeling winning like that first championship, you know, so then Farrell now in 98, now needs an offensive coordinator. We talked about 96, Paul DeSano was there, but he ended up leaving. Coach Barrett actually takes over the offense in 97. And they didn't do well. Uh, they end up losing to Peters in the playoffs. I think it was like the B playoffs also, like the double A. They end up losing to Peters. So it was kind of like a down time for Farrell. So they were looking to make some changes. So, you know, Tony Garofola, who's the head coach now, we graduated together. We're very good friends still to this day. You know, he calls me and asks me if I wanted to go there, you know, and, um, you know, I, I definitely wanted to coach at Farrell being, you know, that's where I graduated from. And, you know, I said, Tone, I'm, if I come there, you know, I want to run my offense. Like this is what I'm doing now at Tomville. You know, I want to have full reign over everything and, 
you know, even Coach Cerullo said that, yeah, that you would have full reign, anything you want to do, you come in, it's, it's your offense to run. So it was a very, again, another hard decision. Jimmy took me in, taught me so much, and now um, want to leave. You know, we just won. We just won the championship. And, but he was great. Let me tell you, again, there's something else about Jimmy that I just admire about him. He totally understood where I was coming from. He was graduated from Tottenville, and now he was coaching at his alma mater. He understood that I wanted to go to my alma mater. He was great with me going there. And, and that's how I ended up at Farrell, you know, because they just called and asked if I wanted to come over, and I, and I, and I did. And what made you leave Farrell and go back to Tottenville? Well, you know, that's a different kind of story. You know, it was more – so in 98, we do well. We end up going to the championship game with a team that, talent-wise, I should have been nowhere near that game, but it was a great team. I loved coaching that team, a team that I always talk about. It was just hard, tough, tough-nosed kids that we end up going to the championship and losing. But we, it was a great season just to get there. And then in 99 and 2000, we win back-to-back championships. So we're doing great. Everything's all hunky-dory, you know. But then in 01, we, you know, 99, we had a lot of juniors play. So now those, a lot of returners in 2000. And so we win again in 2000. But now in 2000, all those kids, we have a ton of seniors. Man, two returning starters. And I think both on defense for, you know, going into 2001. And, and we didn't have a great year. You know, we ended up, I think, being like the five seed. We lost in the first round of the playoffs. And, uh, you know, so we have a little bit of, of you know, you know, on, you know, we're not as successful as we were. And, you know, I guess the offense kind of got questioned. Maybe they wanted to make some changes with the offense. I thought it was a little unfair. You know, we were okay with the offense. We were having some success, but now in 01, we don't have as much success, which is going to happen. You know, you're going to have ups and downs. And, uh, you know, now we want to make changes to the offense. And I just didn't, you know, kind of didn't really like that. didn't sit well with me. So, so, you know, Tottenville was, I was again, still friends with Jimmy and um, just got to talking and I ended up deciding to leave Farrell and go back to Tottenville in 02. And I've been there really ever since. Now, when you were at Farrell, who was the offensive coordinator of time? So when I was at Farrell, the offensive coordinator was, was Jim Daber, who's now the AD. I'm sure you've seen him there. So he ended up taking over the offense when I left. He was there when I was there as the OC. He was the receiver coach. And he kind of just became the OC um, when I, you know, before I came back. How, how many rings do you have? So I have four, four early in my career. You know, I ended up again, it was nice. It was a nice, it was a good run early. You know, 97, we win at Tonville. That's my first. And then 98, we go back, we lose. But then 99 and 2000. So you're talking 97, 98, 99, 2000, four years in a row, I was coaching in the championship game. So I win two more at Farrell in 99 and 2000, two real good teams. And then 01, 02, you know, the Farrell team. And then the Tottenville team when I first got back in 02, was we didn't really have a great season, made the playoffs, lost first round. Um, but then 03, we had a phenomenal team, probably the best offensive team that I've coached in 03, and we win again in 03. So, uh, so that's four, and that was my last one in 03, lose – in 2013 and then lose again in 19. Um, so I coached in what, seven games, championship games, one, you know, one, four out of the seven. Wow. That, that's a, 
that's pretty sick. And that's such a long career. I'm thinking yeah. about my career. I've, I've never co- I never even coached in a championship game at the highest level. Yeah. And then seeing like, again, you know, haven't really, haven't, well, obviously I haven't won since so three kind of like makes you really like, you know, put things in perspective and like, wow, I really appreciate that time now that I was able to do that because there are a lot of coaches that never coach in a game or never win a ring, you know? And again, it's, it's been really 18 years, you know, since, since we won, since I've, you know, if you want to go about my perspective, my point of view, I've won't, you know, since I've won, and it makes you appreciate more, like you almost kind of like take it for granted, like, yeah, we're going to win. We're, you know, we're going to be in it every year. We're going to win, you know, in o- you know, in 03, we're talking about winning more and more and, and it hasn't happened, you know? So, and then you're like, wow, luckily I was able to, to coach in those games and win a few of them because it's, it's not something that really comes easy. And you're talking about this long coaching career and things change. Uh, yeah. Offensive schemes change, the game changes how has the, the athlete changed and has that impacted the way you coached? No, I don't, I don't know if the athlete has changed. Like if you kind of, you know, if you take like, for instance, take that 03 team when we had a ton of real good players and, and, and put them on and, and take those exact players and put them now in a 2021 team, you know, um, we would still have the same success. I think it's just a matter of the game changing, you know, um, I guess, you know, because we still, you know, speed is obviously like a big factor in, in the spread, things like that, you know, but, but we had fast guy, Diego Okendo, right. was the one, you know, probably our best player in 03, went to Michigan state. He was blazing fast, probably one of the fastest kids or not the fastest kid I've ever coached. You know, he would just destroy this the offenses that are running now. He would, he would probably, he would have more success now, I think, than he did in 03. So, um, you know, so I think, I think that the athlete hasn't really changed that much. Just the game is played, and I think, you know, the the um, the athletes would have adjusted to today's game just as you know, with no problem. What about the culture? Has that in your mind changed since uh, 1996? Yeah, well, you know, I think obviously social media plays into it. I think we, as coaches, we all know that and feel that it's become kind of like, you know, how can I get my highlights up on Twitter as quickly as possible, um, where that wasn't, obviously wasn't the case in 96, you know, so I, I think that kind of is, has changed a little bit, the mentality of like, you know, what, what, ha, what did I do in the game more so than, you know, what did we do? What, you know, now it's what, what can I do to get better more so than what can I do to help the team be better? I, I think so. I think that mentality has, has definitely shifted. It's more about me than we. Um, but that doesn't mean that the kids don't want to win and don't, and don't care if they win or lose. But I think that has seeped into the mentality of players now, you know, nowadays. So this kind of touches on a podcast that we put out a few weeks ago called OKG, Our yeah. Kind of Guy. Yeah. And uh, you said you loved it. You said you loved sent it. it to your son. Uh, who, huh? what, is, what is your kind of guy? And you don't have to name five things, but like what are one or two things that you look for for if a kid said, I want to play for Coach Maracani. So this is my kind of guy. What's your kind of guy? <laughs> well, I think one is like the, the willingness to be coached, the willingness to kind of say, I don't know everything. 
I don't know better than him. I want to learn and I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to do what he says. And if, you know, I have a question I'm going to ask, I want to get better, you know, again, for myself, but also for the team, because I want to win, you know, a team guy is, you know, someone who wants to improve and listen to coaching and be coached doesn't think they know more than you. Um, and they want to do that because they want the team to succeed. I think that's, to me, the ultimate player. And I've had a lot of those, you know, over the years. And, and you, you have some, you know, that, that aren't, don't have that mentality. Some, and as, you know, more, more probably now than you've had in the past. You know, it's just hitting me now, but you as a coach are that way. Like, again, you're coaching longer than me. You have a way more success than me. And you will ask me questions like you're a white belt in the game because you want to learn. You know, and right. like the guy with your success, you're like, I know this story. Like, why the hell am I listening to this guy? But you come in like you're a rookie coach, which is pretty sick. And now what you're saying it about your players, like I can see why you would want that. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. And listen, if if I, you know, it, it listen, Eras Erasmus and Curtis, right? You're talking about in our perspective, you know, we haven't beat them, you know, a lot recently. So how do you not want to get better to try to beat them? I'm not, you know, when we play Erasmus, we have a difficult time. You know, they have they have great players. We all know that, you know, but how can I, what can I do to help us to beat Erasmus? You know, that's, they're the standard now, you know, what can I do? How can I get better? How can I help the players? Cause it's really about them. You know, we, we, we're, we're going to coach and continue to coach for X amount of years. They, they have a limited time frame that they can have success and win and feel it and feel that championship, you know, feeling. So I want, I want, to get better for the team, for the kids, because they don't have the opportunities. We didn't, we, we lost in 2019. All right. So I'm going to call, I'm coaching again in 2020, 2021. Maybe I'll win in 2022, 2023. The, those kids don't have that opportunity. So it's unfair to them. I think if I don't try to get better and beat the teams that are at the top level in the PSAL. And I, I hope some kid that you coach is listening to this because kids look at it like in the reverse way, like, ah, this guy's going to be here forever. He doesn't care. This is my only shot. But like, you're like, I care because it is your only shot. Like, that's how much I care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like even, you know, going back to like the, you know, those Farrell teams, you know, I knew that, you know, obviously coming in 2000, we had already won in 99 with a lot of, you know, with a lot of returning players you know, I remember telling them, you know, at the camp, speaking to the team, saying, like, I'm going to do what I need as much as I could do to make sure that we win again, because we have the talent to do it. And I feel like it's my responsibility now to put everyone in the right spot and have everyone prepared to win again, because we are the best team again. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to win again. You know, so I do feel that it's my responsibility to have the kids prepared because they do have limited time to, to try to win, to win. So I, you know, that's definitely my mindset when I'm coaching. But back then when you guys won championships with Farrell, were your yeah. teams athletically comparable to your opponents? Like th this year, you know, I'm watching Farrell and they, they did awesome. They went to the championship game. They're going against Iona prep. And yeah. Iona prep looked like Boston college, like a legit yes. D one 
FBS football team. Correct. And you could see Farrell's really well coached. The kids play the, every, every bit of energy they have, but in some instances, they just didn't have the same horses that Iona Prep had. Right. Was, was it that much of a disparity when you were coaching there, or was Farrell right on pace with everybody else? I think, I think Farrell was more, you know, I think overall, like I teams like Iona, and I watched that championship game, and I watched all the Farrell games, you know, being an alum, you know, and, and I think that Iona was like probably the, one of the best offensive teams or teams in general that I've ever seen ever, like, you know, in the, in our local area, I'm not talking about California teams, Florida teams that like you see on ESPN. I was talking about local teams. They were just, they were ridiculous, you know? And I, and I think that those teams like Iona this year really didn't exist in the late nineties at, you know, in the, in the Catholic league. Um, so I think Farrell matched up better with the, with the teams that were there in the late nineties, big up front and our line, our O line D line were just outstanding. Great, great, great. We were great up front. You know, we had a great running back, Jason Sullivan. Um, and I think that was the type of team that existed back then. And I think it was because of, you know, that's what you needed to win. Like I said, Mount is running the wishbone, you know, St. Anthony's is running the double wing. So they didn't really need like thoroughbreds, you know, running four fours on the outside because they hardly threw. Um, So you you won the game up front. And and I think as the game has changed, like we talked about earlier, I think the, 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 the dynamics and like, you know, the parts of the team that exist now are kind of more, you know, as far as what the types of offenses are, you know, so if they had a, if they had no fast athletes, Iona, and they were just in a great up front, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit the the type of offense that they run. Um, You know, so, so I think that that's, you know, I think Farrell back in the late nineties matched up fine with the other teams in the league. But I think, you know, nowadays to win, you need teams and you need some studs, you know, and some, and speed like you saw Iona have this year in order to match, to match up and to, to, to beat that, to, to beat those teams. Yeah. And, and you're not going to out Iona, Iona, you know? No, no. <laughs> I think Iona, like, you know, talking about just real quick on Iona, you know, I think Iona, you know, you learn, right. We talked about learning and always wanted to learn. I went to Farrell, Iona, uh, playoff game. I want to say it was maybe like 2017 or 16. Um, Iona won big. It was first round of the playoffs. It was at Farrell. So Farrell was high seed. And I saw Iona do things that I was just amazed with. And again, they weren't like this team that just passed, but they were very, very good. And, um, you know, funny story, I'll tell you in a second. So, so what Iona did was they were, they were very, very, very up-tempo. And, but they were up-tempo without changing personnel and but they were multiple formation of tempo. So it wasn't just get to the ball and you're in either trips or even, and you're four wide and, you know, they were double tight end one play, and then they will get to the ball and snap it under five seconds. But the next play now they're in, they're in trips. Then the next play they're in no back all with the same personnel. And I was so like impressed by this. I was like, this is what I want to do. So I'm, you know, I'm learning too, from even high school level, the coach, you know, Spagnola at Iona is an outstanding coach. And I just was like, 
enamored by like what they did. And I'm like, this is what I would love to be where we could be up tempo, you know, try to snap it under five, but definitely never pass 10 seconds, snap it under 10 seconds every single time, but be in multiple formations, difficult to do, very difficult to do. And there's no way I do it as well as I own it, not even close, but you know, then, so that Iona team I was so impressed with ends up playing St. Anthony's the week after in the, in the semis and going to where you, George, where you, you know, your thing kind of, you know, their offense again was just, was just ridiculous. So when I say Anthony's does that game, I don't know if you know this, but they score first drive. I don't see the game, but I, I was, you know, knowing Tony, he was telling me about this. They score the first drive of the game. They onside kick, recover it, score again. They onside kick again, recover it, and score again. Iona hadn't run one single offensive play, and they were losing 21-0. And, and I, that was St. Anthony's game plan, just to kind of, like, not give them the ball. And, and they weren't prepared for it, Iona. And, you know, going into what you, you know, you kind of your thing, I always think about that. And that's something in my head, too, when you bring in all the onside kicks that you do. And I'm like, that is amazing. I was just like, kind of like amazed by what St. Anthony's did in that game. And they end up winning and going to the championship. I'm not sure if they won or not. I think they may have lost to Stepanek, but you know, that is, uh, you know, that was something that I just thought was amazing that they did. So let's take a, a little sidetrack here for those of people that don't know some of the references. So uh, if you, if you know me, you know me that I love to onside kick for a million different reasons. Yeah. I'm, I'm going into Tottenville after having been fired from another high school. <laughs> One of the many reasons was uh, he onside kicked all the time. So when yeah. I meet with Coach Neville, he's like, uh, I'm a little nervous about this. Right? I'm a little <laughs> nervous about doing it. I said, me too. I'm not going to put you in that situation because I was already screamed at it by parents for onside kicking, even though I know in my heart and soul that there's nothing better to do. Uh we start do we start not doing it last year, and Curtis runs back a kickoff return against us for a touchdown. And what yep. we're watching on film is that we had the onside kick, and that's when Coach Neville said, "Why am I getting the conservative Mahoney? No more." So Tottenville, for the most part, we go into full every time we are doing some sort of onside kick. Now my now my real question for you, rather than this long statement, is when I first met you. And we talked about onside kicking. Again, I was bracing myself for you're a moron, you're losing field position. You're like, no, it's cool. Is it because of what you saw at the Iona uh, St. Anthony's game that made that you was 100 percent in my head? And I think the second thing was that you said the analytics show that it doesn't matter if a team starts to drive at the 50 or at the 35, they're probably the same, they have the same amount of chance to score. And as an offensive guy, I'm like, you know what, that kind of makes sense. Like, you know, those 15 yards aren't going to make a difference, but you know, losing, you know, getting a, stealing a possession as an offensive coach is huge. And I, I think it's, it's worth the chance to take, to do that. And it's, and it's not just, and what also is it, it's not just line up, run an onside kick, you know, you have about set, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing numbers out. I don't know how many you have, but you have a lot and they're coached. It's almost like having another offensive unit out there with formations and it gives teams another thing to prepare for. So, yes, you want an onside kick, but is it just going to be the same onside kick where, you you know, you kick it to one side and hope you get a nice bounce? That's not what you do. So I'm 100% all in. And it's funny because when we played Lincoln in the playoffs, you know, we had done that. We, you know, we, we always do our onside kicks. And, and my son was at that game and he said, you onside kick every time. It's almost not fair. And I'm like, that's exactly right. It's almost <laughs> not fair. Like, that's, a, that's the idea. You know, it's funny. He actually said that to me, you know. 
That's the greatest thing I ever heard. Yeah. Because uh, normally people are booing. Uh, and I remember at, where, I, where I got fired from before this, we were recovering a lot of onside kicks. And we kicked one out of the end zone because they all came up and people uh -huh. cheered. And I was like, you didn't get the ball back. Why is everybody so happy right now? Right, right, right. You know, listen, if you have a kicker that, you know, could put every single kick in the end zone, I think that's a great thing to have in high school. You know, it's very difficult for an offense to go 80 yards every drive. But that's a rare breed to have a kicker in high school that's going to put every kick in the end zone, you know. And you see so many kicks returned, you know, in high school. Um, I found this year when they were playing Stepanak, one of their one of their one of their playoff games, they got a kick returned against foul has great special teams and you know but they got a kick returned on them and I'm like you see look at this this shows you that you know it's not worth those 15 yards if you're gonna start at the 35 you start at the 50 not necessarily worth the you know that having that kick returned and I you know there's also another you know remember when we played Curtis right in the playoffs. And they may not even have been in the playoffs. It may have been in the regular season game. We onside kick at the end of the half. They recovered and then they score. I think I forget which one, which game it was, but someone said to me, like, not a good idea to, you know, to onside kick there. I don't agree with it because, you know, they would, they would, they would have needed more time to drive. But this, the play they scored on was like a 55 yard pass. The receiver had gotten past our, our safety. It didn't matter if they had the ball in the 50 or if they had the ball in the 25, that was going to be a touchdown because the guy got behind our safety. So, you know, it, it's definitely something that is going to be questioned by people that see football and watch the NFL on Sundays. It's just different, but that, you know, they don't understand why if they're not really like a football person and, and understand you know, you're, you're doing this because of, analytics and, and data and, and re, you know, things that you've seen happen. And another thing too, when you came in was I had seen that you probably know the guy's name. I don't know, but on, on HBO real sports, that coach that onside kicks every time and has a gazillion different onside kicks. And I was like, I love this. I'm like, this is great. You know? So that was also in my head. I'm like, Oh, I love this guy. You know, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about that guy, right. Who I'm talking about. Uh, Kevin and, Kelly. Kevin Kelly. Yeah. So I say, I knew you even know his name. And, uh, and, you know, and I was like, so this is great. Cause I thought that was the best thing ever when I watched that on real sports. And now I'm actually, you know, good watching it on the team that I coach, you know? And so I was all in on that. Definitely. But short side note, I, I flew down to meet Kevin Kelly. We talked okay. about outside kicking. We talked about not punting. Uh, he's just an interesting guy, but a lot of it was like by not kicking deep. Now I don't have to work on, getting on my kickoff start or getting around a block or seeing which way they're blocking and then button the guy up and getting a concussion and working all the yeah. stuff that kids just don't want to do right now. Right. Well, the NFL, they don't want to do it right now. They don't want to, they don't do not want to do it. And, and I think even nowadays where we see the numbers just shrinking on football teams, you know, that you're going to have kids that play offense, play defense. And now we're out there on the, spe on special teams, you know, that they're just, they need a break and they take their break on kickoff return at the expense of the other team running a kickback, you know? So I think that's a, that's something else that they, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They think being on special teams is kind of almost like a, a nuisance for them. And um, they're not listening, you know, making a tackle on special teams 
isn't, you know, going to get you on the all-star team. It's not something that, you know, is, is noticed as much as catching an 80 yard touchdown pass or intercepting and running it back for a touchdown, things like that, you know, a sack. So they don't want to do it. So this kind of takes that out and you made it to a point, you know, where the kids were excited. It was, it became like a challenge for them to get a kick and they loved the multiple formations you did, the multiple, the different types of kicks that you did, you know, you made it fun and engaging for them. And that, and that was a big, that's a big part of it. You know, when you're kicking and you're like, all right, just stay in your lane, you have contained, you know, you're the safety guy. It's, it's kind of the same thing every time, a little boring that you made kickoff exciting for the kids, you know, even and every special team. And they're calling the kickoff, which is sick. Like, coach, can we do uh, this play? Yeah. I don't want to say any names of plays because anybody's listening, but they're, they're calling it. I'm like, all right, if it's open, we're calling it. If it's open, yep. you just made the call right now. And so, I would, yeah. I'll never, you know, I, it's happened a few times this year when I'm on the board, we just score. I'm on the board with the O-line and you just kind of hear a roar from the crowd and you see the, you know, you see the offense just running past me because they knew we got, you know, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? It's happened, happened multiple times. But it's a great thing when now you could get that, you know, extra possession um, in a game. So you two things that I want to take back in terms of kicking. One of them was the kick against Curtis when that number five ran it back for a touchdown. Yes. I, I regret that. And another one, I think it was Midwood. We kicked them the ball. It was the last deep kick we did this year. And they ran it back and then they scored right before the half. So these are calls that I would want to take back. I want to segue well, into you. Yeah. Is there a call that you wish you could take back in your career? Oh, well, I mean, probably a lot. You know, if you really kind of, if, if I really thought about it, it was probably a lot of calls that I would want to take back. One, one though, that I think stands out. And, and if you asked any, like if you asked Brian, if you asked Jimmy Munson, you know, and, and, I, and it stands out more because it was in a championship game in 03. We, we, um, we had a big game and we get, we get inside, we're playing Canarsie and we get inside the 20 and, you know, we had practiced all, you know, they were going to run a bare defense. We knew they were, you know, in the red zone, you know, six, one, they were, that's what they would do. You know, they were a four, four team. Otherwise they would go to a six, one, you know, when we got, when we got in the red zone. So we're inside the 20. So we're, you know, we, it was I'm pretty sure it was a big play where we're, we're running down to line up and I call speed option. So what I wanted to do, what we went over in practice all week was we were going to be trips to the boundary and we were going to run speed option to the field. A lot of room. We had Jonathan pick Coombs as our running back. He went to Rhode Island's phenomenal player. So we were just going to pitch him the ball because the ends were very aggressive. We were going to pitch him the ball. He was going to have that whole field, you know, we were on the left hash. I'll never forget. We we're on the left hash. He's going to have the whole field. And, and we, you know, that was what we were looking to do. You know, that's how we were. So, so I call that play. Well, when we get, when we line up, they're not in, they're not in bear. They don't go, they don't go to their bear defense. They stay in a four, four. So now if you, you know, you know, you'll understand. So, so now they're middle linebacker. They don't have one middle linebacker who's over the center who's now had to run from the center all the way to the field to make the play because he would have been unblocked in the bare front. And I was fine with that. Now they're in a nickel, they're in a four, four and then front side linebacker to the field is in the B gap. So now we're, we're combo blocking for him. We don't get him because, you know, it's full flow to the field on speed option. 
he comes over the top of our tackle and the end, like we knew it was going to happen at the end, the tax, our quarterback, he pitches to pick Coombs, but their front side beak again comes over the top because he's so close to the front side of the play. And he's like right there when, when, you know, when, when pick Coombs was going to catch the pitch and he kind of like messes up the pitch, pick Coombs drops it, that someone scoops it and, and they go like 80 yards. They don't score. They get, you know, so, someone may have been my quarterback, Frank Messina, uh, tackles them like at the five. And I think it took four plays, but they end up scoring. It was a big turning wow. point in the game. We were kind of ready to put them away. And that touchdown kind of brought them back in. And, I, you know, everyone was all over me. And that, you know, the idea of that play was to be, if they're in that bare front, we're running speed option. If they're not, we're going to run zone to the boundary, you know, towards the trip side, and we're going to power them to the boundary. I trusted Frank, and it's not his fault. I will never blame a kid ever for this, you know, but I wanted to kind of, it was like kind of like a check play right there, but he stayed with the speed option, which he shouldn't have done. And, and that's what happens, you know? So, so that's a play that I'm like, I should never have put it into his hand, I shouldn't have assumed, number one, that they were going to automatically go to, to a bear front when they did. They really weren't, we weren't really inside the 10. We were like on the 17 or something like we had just gone inside the 20. I don't know why I assumed they were going to go to a goal line D. And, and then again, assuming that the quarterback who's a junior, who's 16, 17 years old, is going to know. I mean, even though we practice it and we repped it all week, he's going to know, oh, we got to check out of this play. We need to run zone now. And so that's, that's one that really sticks out. Anyone, Tottenville, you know, wise, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy's brother, both, you know, Brian, Mike Lorenzo, anyone who was on that staff will, will talk, will remember, remembers that play and will always bust my chops about it. And it's rightfully so. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> that's pretty rough. You're rattling off a lot of names on here that remember this, this play. Oh, they, absolutely. Everyone will remember that play. It was such a big play, you know, and we laugh about it now because we end up winning the game. But if we didn't win, I don't know how much we'd be laughing about it. I'd probably still be crying about that play because it was a big play. So how would how do you stop that? I don't want to ask this question right because I don't want to give too much away to our competitors in case they're listening. But <laughs> how do you stop something like that from happening again? Well, I think I think that what I've done, like what kind of again, and yet you're, you're learning, right? I I never and and Frank Messina. He was a junior that year. He was our quarterback. He ended up going to Florida Atlantic. He, you know, we had D1 kids all over that team. He, you know, he, he was like a very, very smart student. And it's also like a very smart student of the game too, you know? So I trusted him to be able to kind of check out of a play, not because just to do it, we practiced it. And that's something that I changed after that year. I never was going to put on a player on a quarterback obviously the quarterback ever again put on on a quarterback to make a check like it's too much too much for a for a a, a, a kid to have to do no matter how many times you rep it they're just not i don't you know they shouldn't have to have that responsibility so that's on me and that's something that i never did after that i never had I said to a quarterback all right we're going to run this play if they're in this front or we're going to but i need you to check out of it if they go to this front. Never would I do that. Um, I call all the checks now, you know, and I, you know, that's something that that I changed when, uh, you know, because of that play, because of that play, that, that's the truth. 
So let's get back to the positive then. Is there a specific game or team that you were most proud of as a coach, of your coaching of that team? Yeah, I would say, you know, I mentioned it earlier, like that 98 Farrell team, you know, they had come off a, um, a tough year the year before, lose to Peters in a, in a, they don't even make the AAA playoffs, I don't believe. Uh, and, and, you know, they had a, we had a backup quarterback who was someone who was a backup quarterback the year before in 97 playing guard for us, you know, but they were just a tough bunch of kids, like a really, really tough bunch of kids, you know, for them to, to, we, you know, we got destroyed by St. Anthony's in the regular season and we end up beating them somehow in the semis. No one gave us a chance to go to the championship game. Um, you know, we play Mount earlier in the year, Mount, the seniors on Mount, Mount had won the championship in 97. Those seniors, I don't think lost a game in three years. And we end up coming back with down 17-7 against Mount and come back and win 21-7. You know, those are the type of kids we had. Just like not great talent, really, but just tough, tough kids. And I'll give you an example, right? In the, and this is my first, you know, year at Farrell. We scrimmage Peters at camp. So they come to our camp and we scrimmage. No refs, no nothing. Just kind of a recipe for disaster, really. You know, and it ends up what happens. We end up having a brawl, right? So and a full-fledged, like, brawl. So I'm breaking things up, pulling players away, trying to get our guys away. And I look over and I'll tell you who the coach was after we're done with this, but there's a coach on Peters that I I almost like kind of had to, like it sticks in my mind. I kind of had to almost do a double take was actually like fighting one of our players. Like, and I, I, you know, and I'm not a fighter, but not even close, you know, and I kind of just got me like, and I just got enraged and I was just going for this guy full speed before I get there. One of our receivers named Dan, Dan Gualtieri, big kid. He's a fireman now beats me there. He starts fighting the coach, like legitimately fighting the coach. And that shows you like what kind of a team that we had. They were fearless, tough, tough kids. So I think that team I like in 99 and 2000, those were great teams. We had great talent. You know, I'm probably the closest with the 2000 team to this day. You know, one of the, the quarterback at, on that team, Mike Scotty, who's a teacher with me at McKee, still teaching there. You know, we he's that, that team is close and he'll text me things like, oh, we were just talking about you. Remember when you said this to this kid? And, you know, it's just it's just fun talking to them. But they were a great team. They were a good team that should have won. 98 should really have not even been close to to, to go into the championship, um, you know, and, uh, you know, even like going to 03, 03 was the, the probably the best offensive team that I've ever coached. We just had guys probably like our f- fifth and sixth receiver were, were, were unbelievable on that team. And, but they should have won. We, we were so good that, you know, it, it's, you know, we should have won the championship, but 98, like they were really overachieved. I always, so I always think about that team. When you take talent out of it, what do you think separates a, a great team from a good team? Well, I, I think the camaraderie with the kids, I feel like, you know, and that's something, unfortunately, that you, you kind of, you lose a little bit by not going away to camp anymore. And, and you just, nowadays, you just can't do it. You know, unfortunately, I know Farrell still does, probably a couple of teams still do, but, you know, I understand why we stopped at Tottenville. And then why, why a lot of other teams, you know, have stopped as well. And that built 
a lot of team there. You know, you're with these guys, you know, for nine, 10 days, you know, just you guys. And that's how you kind of, and, and, that, and that's, you know, even me as a, yeah, as a player at Farrell, I'm still friends with, just had dinner with them last week. You know, a lot of the players on, on my team, when I played, you know, we're all 50 years old now, still friends and getting together. And, and I think that's an important part of being a great team is, is like, you know, that I love this kid next to me and I'm going to do anything I need to do to, to help us win because I want to win not for me, but for everyone else around me, you know, because I just love these kids. If you don't have that and you don't really, and you kind of almost dislike like, you know, the tackle that's lining up next to you or the quarterback that's, that's in front of us, you know, that that's leading us. I don't really like him because he's kind of a jerk. That's that, that team will never win. So I, I wanted you, you mentioned the tough teams that you coached and that seems like a real differentiator sometimes. And I, I would think that's one of the differentiators too, of like a, 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 a good team and a great team is how tough they are, but I want to get to your toughness. So I don't know the whole story, but you know, coach Neville tells me that you were sick, that you had cancer yeah. And that, did, did that take you out of coaching football for a while? And then you came back or you just coached yeah. straight through the whole episode? No, you know, it took me out. I kind of regret it. Like it's something that that's a regret that I definitely have. Like I got sick at the end of the 07 season, you know, it was, you know, I kind of like came on or at least I kind of, you know, had the got symptoms of it after the season, I, you know, I was at, we were actually at, Fagazi practice, Greg Rocco, who was at the coach at Moore at the time, was the head coach of, of the Fagazi team. And he asked me to come on and be the OC of the team. And we were at a meeting at Moore on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget, you know, and the kids were there and it kind of like, you know, that's when it came on. So, and I went to the hospital and found out that I had cancer and, you know, that was 07. And, you know, I, I, I regret not coaching in 08. You know, I feel like kind of like, the cancer one, and that's what you don't want to have happen. So I didn't coach in 08, planning on going back in 09. But what ended up happening was my wife was pregnant with twins who were, who were born in March of 10, you know, 2010. So I said, I'm not going to go back in 09 for one year. And then I'm probably not going to, I'm not going to be able to coach in 2010 because I'm going to have six month old twins with a three-year-old. My son was, was turning one actually. I actually missed his first birthday party uh, because I was in the hospital. I went to the Fugazi meeting was the day before his first birthday party. So, you know, I said, I'm probably not going to be able to coach in 2010. So I'm not going to come back in 09 and then stop again in 10. So, you know, so 08, 09, 2010, um, I ended up becoming an assistant principal. So again, another plan to maybe go back in 2011, but I'm like, you know what, you know, I just got an assistant principal job. I really need to kind of like, get better at this, you know, without having to, you know, the, the responsibility of, you know, coaching. So I didn't go back in 2011. It was, and, and I don't think I was really even going to go back in 2012 or anytime soon. If it wasn't for, for, for Brian Neville, he convinced me, he's like, come on, come to help, come help out. You know, he was the OC when I left, you know, starting in 08 and I would go to games and like, you know, be up top with him or whatever, but very here and there, you know, um, so, you know, but in 12, he's like, here's what I want you to do. You know, can you come, come every Sunday morning, we'll game plan together. Come on Monday nights. You don't have to come to practice. Come Monday nights. We'll watch film again. We'll eat. 
you know, and we'll game plan. You don't have to come to any practices at all and then come to the games and help me up top, you know, be my kind of eye in the sky and help me. And that's what I did. And I appreciate that. You know, he had my back so much while I was sick that I'll never forget. And is why I'll always be loyal to him. And he kind of got me into it. That's exactly what I needed. I needed that kind of little taste. You know, this is 2012 now. So I was an AP for a couple of years, a little more comfortable in the job. And then I said, you know what? I love doing this. So in 2013, I come back full time. And, and again, something else with, with, with Brian, he com- uh, immediately concedes the OC spot. There wasn't even like a thought like, no, I've been the OC for the last four years. Now you're just going to come back and kind of take over. That wasn't, he wasn't, you can, you're, you're back, you're the OC. I'm going back to coaching O-line. And again, it's something else I just, you just appreciate of what he did. And, you know, so, I, and since 2013, I've been back full time, but then I get sick again, right? Of course, comes back in 2014 and I miss half the season. You know, it, it, it came on in the beginning, you know, kind of like the, after like the first four or five games, it kind of, it came back, but I was on a mission to not to coach again in 2015. And I did. You know, there was no way I wasn't coaching in 2015 because I regretted not coming back right away in 2008. So in 15, I coached again. I came right back and that was Jimmy's last year. And, um, you know, I was happy that I was able to 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 come back and coach with him in his, in his last season. Now, what, what was your wife's perspective on you coaching? Was she like, hey, just take it easy. This is going to stress out your body. Or she said, no, you need this in your life. No, I think she was definitely concerned about it, you know, um, and, but she knows me, she knows that I had a set, I was doing it and there really wasn't, you know, nothing was going to stop me, but she understood too, like the idea of like that, you know, even, you know, especially after the second time that I got sick, uh, that I needed to go back again, like immediately, like right after. So, you know, both, both things, you know, I was kind of done with my chemo both times around like March, you know, all the chemo. So it was, you know, I had six months to kind of recover both times. And in 08, I decided to not do it. I felt like I needed to clear my head. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, a, a, a kind of punch in the stomach getting sick like that. You know, I was like 36 years old or something like that, you know. And, you know, so it was kind of like a, a you know, punch in the stomach. But in but when it came back, I was just more like annoyed about it. Like I have to do this again. I was really like, and I was like, this is not not happening. I I always say I use my football mentality too. You know, when you're a player, you know, you the coach could, you know, when we, you know, when I played, I'm not going to speak. I'll speak for myself. Like you, you don't question really what the why am I running a hundred sprints after practice? Why am I doing this? You don't question anything as a football player. You just kind of do whatever the coach says. You know, and I think that mentality helped me when I was sick and my doctor became my coach. He's like, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You do, okay. Whatever you say, I didn't question him. And, and, you know, I'm still with the same doctor, you know, since, since 07, we become friends and he, you know, so I think that helped me. I didn't question anything. I was all in hundred percent. I had a positive mindset and I think that definitely helped. But after 14, I was coaching in 2015. I was coaching. And it's funny because in 2015, you know, my immune system, which is still kind of like not the best, I still go for treatments for it, but we didn't know it at the time. So in 2015, my immune system is like almost non-existent. I didn't know this though. So I get an ear infection that is just wrecking me, wrecking me. But 
I was coaching. I was not going to allow it to stop. I was at work taking pain medicine all day, lights off in my office, just kind of laying down. You could ask Neville before games. I was in his, I was, I didn't go out for pregame. I would go in his office, lie down, put my head down because the pain was just of this ear infection was just excruciating that I couldn't, I, I couldn't go out there. So, and I would, when it was game time, he would come get me and I would go down and, and, and coach the game. So finally they kind of found out that my immune system was like insanely low and they had to give me some treatments to boost it up. But again, I, I didn't care. I was coaching nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't going to win again. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the mindset I had at that time. Um, You know, it was, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen again. I mean, again, hopefully some kid that you coached or will coach listens to this and says, Oh, I'm tired for practice today. (laughs) I can't complain. Like, Oh, I took too many handoffs in this inside run drill. How are you going to complain when your offensive coordinator, you know, is battled through cancer twice and is so banged up from an ear infection that he can't even go out to pregame and then coach his game. Yeah. And you know, what's funny though, too, because, but you look at it the other way and I think like it's cliche to say, but you know, you, you have a different perspective on things when you get sick. And I think my perspective now after being sick, wouldn't even get angry at that kid. It would almost be like, I understand you're 17. You don't want to go out there. To, you, know, you kind of look at things differently. I wouldn't even be annoyed and say, you're good. You're annoyed. You're, 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 you can't run a sprint or you can't run on the field. And I did what I did. I, 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 like I said, I, I kind of look at things like differently and, and say, I get it. I understand. I was there when I was 17. I'm not going to look down on this kid or, or question what he thinks. He's a kid. He's a kid. And, and that's going to happen. And hopefully I, you know, he learns, I'm not going to give him, I, I never talk about it with the kids ever. You know, I'm not going to say, you can't do this. I had cancer and I went through chemo and blah. I would never do that. It's not about me, you know, and, but I would try to help and let him know, like, you know, and hopefully like they realize it later on in life. But, but again, perspective changes a little and you kind of say, I get it. I understand where he's coming from. I was a kid too. I'm not going to be annoyed and be mad at, at him because he's a kid. He's a kid. And, and you mentioned that you don't say it to the kids. I mean, I never heard it. Coach yeah. Neville mentioned it once in passing that yeah. you, we had a, like, we changed our practice schedule today because you had to go back for a checkup. Yes. And I'm like, man, this guy, I, I, know, I know I don't know you all that long but you never mentioned it to me once. And you no. never, I never heard you mention it at all. No, no, I never talk about it. Like I said, because that's, you know, that's putting like, you know, the attention on me. And it's one thing that I do not like is when it, it's about me, you know, and, um, you know, so I, I never mentioned it because it's, I, again, it has nothing to do with what we're doing. We're out there coaching football. We're having fun. No need to mention that, you know, things that happened in the past. And that's just kind of the way I operate. I, I don't really like to talk about it. In 2014, Jimmy, you know, was, was, you know, had my last game that I was going to coach was against Newdorp and we won and Jimmy gave me the gave, gave me the game ball after the game, uh, you know, and the advance was there and they kind of like, kind of, you know, saw what was going on, that there was something going on with me, like, you know, and I wasn't going to coach and they kind of came to me and like, Oh, they started to interview me and, and they're like, what, what's exactly going, you know, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm not, I don't really, really want to talk about it, to be honest. Uh, you know, this isn't about me. This is about the kids. 
And, you know, I don't want to put anything, I don't want, I don't want the story to be about me. You know, something's going on with me. I'm not going to be able to coach, but let's talk about the noodle game. Let's talk about the good win we had today. You know, so that's kind of just the way I am. To make one last weird statement is think about the polar opposite of the generation of the me, 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 me world. Uh, so kids, again, if you're listening to your coach or a guy that has coached you in the past, it's not about you, right? It's always about the team and it's about the greatest. Always about the team, always about the kids. You know, you're like, you know, you, you as a coach, you know, again, try to prepare the kids and get them into the best possible scenario to win the game. Um, but when they score the touchdowns, you know, it's not, you don't, you didn't score the touchdown for them. You know, they, they, they executed and scored the touchdown. And that's why, you know, we talk about like pet peeves, right? You know, that's, why I can't stand when coaches on the sideline like go crazy. Like a good example is like Lane Kiffin, right? Like Lane Kiffin, when he cheers and pumps his fist and, you know, when a, when a, when a running back, like you see on film sometimes a running back just, ba- just basically just gets through the front seven and coaches on the sideline put their hands up in the air. It just irritates me a lot because it's not about you. Don't make it about you. You know, it's about the kids. They're the ones doing it out there. You know, and, um, you know, so, and also it's, it's, it's supposed to work. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> we always told the kids act like you've been there before. You know, when, when someone celebrates after a touchdown as coaches, we get all over them. I know I do. I know Neville does, you know, like we just hate when they're celebrating and dancing and doing this, getting a penalty for excessive celebration drives us crazy as a coach. And we always say, act like you've been there. And I think as a coach, it's the same way. You, it's supposed to work. I, you know, the plays, we, we practice them. We draw them up. They're supposed to work. When they do, don't go crazy, all right? Because it's not about you. It's about the kids. It's about their execution. Let them be happy. I get more on the opposite end, annoyed and angry when they don't work. Why are they not working? What's going on out there? You know, so, you know, don't, that, that's something that just really just irritates me. There's a lot of, ego in this game and yeah. it, i think it's the rare coach that makes it always about the kids and about the team i shouldn't say rare but th- there's coaches that in my opinion do this for a couple different reasons one some coaches just like to yell at kids there's not a lot yeah. of those guys but they are they exist right some of them want to make these kids better and it's all about the kids and some of them is just completely about them like look at me again a coach look at me look at me look at me correct like, it's about you it's about the yeah. kid yeah and i think that like you know like even like say talking about someone who's an offensive coordinator, right? Because that's where we're at here. Um, it, it's my, my daughter could call the plays. I'll give her a list of plays and let her just kind of throw them out there. And we probably will score about three touchdowns, right? It's about what you do from Monday through Thursday or Friday. It's the teaching that goes on. That's what's scoring the touchdowns. It's not, oh, I made such a great call there. What an amazing call I had there. You know, you see, again, going back to the pet peeves, coaches that high five, like the other coaches after you score a touchdown. It's not the call. You know, it's more about the teaching part that goes on from Monday through Thursday to get them ready. If that's happening, then you're going to be successful. You need to do a good job during the week, the teaching part, the execution part, you know, the, you know, going over all the what ifs, you know, because you're an offense coordinator, you need to be ready for the what ifs, meaning if a kid asks you, coach, what if they blitz off the edge? 
coach, what if they are in press coverage here? You know, you need to be, have those answers. Cause if you don't have those answers, then you really are not ready to be an offensive coordinator. So if you address all the what ifs, if you teach them how to execute, it doesn't matter who calls the plays on Saturday or Friday night. Anyone could do it. It's not about the calls. It's about the preparation. So I, I want to go back to a guy you mentioned before, uh, Danny Boylan. Yeah. You said that he is your uncle. Is that correct? Correct. And what, what was the influence that he had on you as a coach? Well, I mean, you know, I played football my whole life at the boys in the boys league. And um, he was coaching at Newdoke during the time, you know, so my father would take me to some Newdoke games. And it was just, you know, when you're, when you're eight, nine, 10 years old and you go to a high school game, you think those guys are in the NFL. You know, you think it's just like, you're just amazed by their size. And, you know, so I was around that. And he, when I, I never forget, I was in sixth grade. He took me away to Newdoke camp with him, you know, and my, and his son, my cousin, and, you know, we, we were at camp, I would film the practices and, you know, it just kind of like got me around football and, and on the kind of coaching side. And, you know, I would obviously wouldn't hang out with the players during, you know, at that time at camp. I think that's a big, that's a big part of why I think I wanted to coach is him taking me to camp, you know, when I was in the sixth grade and, you know, hearing the conversations about, about practice and about the players, because I would kind of be like around the coaches, not, not hanging out with them, but like, you know, when you eat, well, for instance, when you after you eat dinner, the coach, you know, the kids go and do what they got to do and go to the canteen or whatever, you know, but the coaches stay back and have some conversations. So I would stay back too. And, you know, just listening to them talk about, it, I was like intrigued by kind of, you know, their conversation. I'm like, it was very interesting to me. And I think that's kind of like put coaching in my head as far as something that I would like to do when I, when I grew up. And I'm sure you know why I was kind of getting at that question, because in addition to the hearing of the guru, uh, Coach Maraconda, when I was in college, the other connection that we had that I didn't know about was that that same guy, Danny Boylan, he was the one that he was the first one that led me on my path to any sort of a coaching slash leadership position. So a, a quick side story here. Yeah. I am a, a junior in high school. I was the, the captain of every single St. Joseph Bada C football team from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a senior. And I say this only because A, uh, we, you know, I was the first team ever. So it wasn't, really, wasn't like I had to go above guys older than me. And B, I wasn't a very good captain as a freshman and sophomore. I was a captain who just, I led by example, but I was really scared of telling anybody what to do. Like it, it was a, a definitely, I would consider it a, a leadership slash character flaw. Uh-huh. Anyway, he comes on the field and we stink and our team is doing nothing. And I'm just kind of scared to tell anybody to be warming up or get their drills in. And he just rips me. He rips me up and down. Like you call yourself a leader. You're uh-huh. not leading anyone. No one's following anything you're doing. And uh, it, because he said that to me, it actually made me extremely vocal. And that was the one thing that made me not afraid anymore. And I, I, I hadn't seen him in like 20 years. And yep. I saw him at a Fugazi dinner. And I went up to him and said, you don't know me. You probably don't remember anything about me, but you changed my life. So uh, just if, he's, if you can extend this to him again, he probably forgot about me 10 minutes after I walked away. But man, that, that one ripping. So guys who get, get mad because they get yelled at by your coach, I'm telling you, that changed my entire life. Changed me as a coach, changed me as somebody in corporate America, changed me as a husband, you know, all that stuff because that guy yelled at me that day. Yep. Yeah, he's that kind of guy, you know, like I said, but every time I had a question about what should I do now, I would call him and go to him and, you know, he's just a, 
a strong character per guy, you know what I mean? And, and someone that, you know, is, is, is definitely a major influence in my life. And he and looked I, like story a I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised when you told me that story. I was not surprised at all. No, obviously knowing him. I, I, I don't think he's six foot uh, 10, but he looked six foot 10 when I saw him as a kid and he yeah. had that big mustache. And he used yep, to look he's like a big guy. guy. <laughs> Break me over his knee. And I was like, my God, I need to change everything. I can't, I can't be this guy anymore. So uh, thank you, Coach Boylan. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. I'm a grown man feeling like a kid again. All yeah. right, Coach, we covered all of the long answer questions. We're going to go into some rapid fire stuff. Some of this stuff you hit already. So we got about five or six questions. So okay. are you prepared for the rapid fire questions? I hope so. <laughs> I hope all right. so. Of all the tattoos you have, what's your favorite one and why? <laughs> um, I, do, yeah, I have a lot, you know, so, I mean, I think a lot of the tattoos I have kind of like, you know, helped me after, you know, I got a lot of them after I got sick and it kind of just kind of mentally helped me get through it. So I, so I have a lot of like quotes, things like that about like, you know, becoming like, you know, like inspirational quotes, things like that. But I think the, as far as that goes, like I have a, and I have a lot about my kids and I probably those are like my favorite, but I'm not even going to get into those. I'll just tell you one about, you know, I have a Phoenix on my, my forearm. Obviously we all know, you know, the Phoenix kind of rises from the ashes. It comes back. So I think that as far as like the inspirational kind of, you know, uh, I'm not going to let cancer beat me kind of thing, like without saying it, you know, on the, on my tattoos, uh, the Phoenix represents, I think, uh, you know, I like that one the best as far as what that represents. I love it. Uh, would, would you ever get a round 14 tattoo? And you know what? The round 14 thing now, I never really kind of knew about until this year when we kind of really stepped into it and, and talked about it. Very, very possible. I do love round 14 now. That's, that's something that I you never looked at. I've seen Rocky a gazillion times, but I never looked at the round 14 thing until hearing the Goggins, you know, speech and talking about how would Apollo look like and it definitely changed how I see that scene. Maybe I will. <laughs> That's sick. For those of you who don't know, watch uh, David Goggins, Google, just go Google or go yeah. to David Goggins round 14. Coach Neville told us the story completely. Yeah. And totally it sick. definitely changed the way I look at that scene now, without a doubt. Uh, okay. Second question. What is something you used to believe about football that you now know is false? Well, I think that back then, and I was telling you earlier about how me and Jimmy used to kind of sit until like 11 o'clock. And I think, you know, the, the, the amount of time that you prepare was a big, big thing back then. Like when I first started coaching in 97, uh, especially, at, you know, at Tottenville, it was like, we're going to, if you know, we're going to out prepare them because we're going to watch film all night. We're going to watch film on Sunday from eight until four. We're going to watch it on Monday until 10, 11. We're going to watch it on Tuesday till nine. And then we'll go to eight on Wednesday. And, and then we're going to win because of that. And, and I think that was a little ridiculous. We used to, you know, if you had, you know, Charlie Pukowski, who's at Curtis now, was our O-line coach in 03 when we won. And, you know, so me and Neville and Pukowski, we would watch film. And the, the defense would be in the coach's office. And we would go down to the phys ed office and we would watch film. And we'd watch so much film. It was almost like, but we, could, we couldn't leave. Because if you left, Jimmy would be all over you like, you guys are leaving? All right, you better score 30 this week. You get annoyed. So rather than hear him and listen to him get annoyed 
and worry that if we don't score 30, he's going to, he's going to get on us. We just stayed. And what we would do was we would like, we would pause the film. And I don't know why I started to do this. You could ask Pukowski and Neville about this. I would pause the film and I'd say, all right, you see the guy on the sideline wearing the Rutgers sweatshirt, I'm going to hit him. And I would take the laser pointer and just, you have one shot to do it. And you have to hit, hit the laser pointer and see if it, where it went. And if it hit the guy in the Rutgers sweatshirt, we would go nuts. We'd be go crazy. <laughs> that, that, that's what it came down. Cause we would just, we were already prepared. It was nothing we could do. And we just got, we were just sitting there. And sometimes Jimmy would come down and sneak into, so if you know Tonville, I know you do George, right? He would sneak into kind of like the AD, his office and sneak through that little like spot where the bathroom is and sneak up on us and come into the phys ed office and listen and see what we were doing. And he'd be like, you guys are a bunch of jerks. You're just fooling around. And we'd be like, Jim, we're done. What do you want us to do? And he's like, yeah, and he always would say that. You better score 30, you better score 30. And, you know, and we were always prepared, but, but those, but that's something I think that has changed. You only could do so much. You only could prepare so much. And the practice thing too, that went onto the practice field. Do you need three hours of practice? You had to. Jimmy thought that if you, if you got off the field before the, you know, in his head, you know, the good teams back then, like say like a Wagner or Canarsie or, you know, whoever, if they, if he thought they were practicing longer than us, that was not happening. It was unacceptable. They, if they were practicing for two hours and 45 minutes, we needed to be out there for three hours. Even though the kids were shot, they weren't listening. They were shut down. The ends of our practices were terrible. We needed to be out there. And I think that came from Al Paterno. He was like the guru of all the New Island coaches that came up in the 90s. And Al had great success. We all know he's, he's an amazing coach too. Like talking to him as for, and learning from him. He's an amazing coach right up there with Jimmy. And he, he said, this is what you need to do to win. And he won all those years in the eighties. And, and so that became the norm. If, if Al said to Jimmy, Jim, on Sundays, you don't come in, Jim, you got to spend time with your family. You don't need Sundays. Watch, bring some film home. You, you know, you know, then that's what, have, what we would have done. He kind of set the standard and Al's crazy. And he was a big, you know, preparer and he, and that's what he did. So now that's what you had to do. And that that's changed. So the, the length of practices, not necessary. The length of preparation, not necessary. So I think that's a big thing. And what's changed for, you know, for me about the game. And I, I love that coach Neville has made it this, uh, I'll call it a feed the cats environment. That was on another podcast. Listen to it if you want to, but essentially short, fast practices, yeah. uh, spend time with my wife you know like he just made right. football enjoyable to coach yeah he you know because he was there he was there when, when we were doing this and we would be like we've watched hours of film hours you know we're there on sunday all day monday now we got to stay tuesday too and we would just be sitting there what are we doing here you know why <laughs> we're gonna watch the same we only had like three games to watch this is back in the days of i think we had we were up to dvds at the time maybe you know wasn't like huddle so we'd only have like two or three games and we just watched them over and over and over again. And I think this living that, like, you know, he knew that it was just a waste. All right, next question. If you could put anything on a billboard on the West Shore Expressway, what would it say? So that's a good question. I heard you ask this to Brian, you know, and I, and I think probably what I would put, especially that's kind of like if you, depending on the direction, well, either direction that you're going on the West Shore, you're going to head to the Staten Island Boys League, right? I probably would say something like, 
please allow your children to play tackle football. It's not dangerous, you know, and, and I think that's a big stigma that you like, you know, oh, I don't know. And, and you, you hear like, you know, where I work here at IS 75, you know, a lot of younger teachers having kids and they're growing up and they're playing flag. And like, they'll say to me, cause they know I coach football. Everyone knows I coach. So they'll be like, I don't know about putting him in tackle. I'm like, listen, put him in tackle. It's not, it's first of all, when you're seven or six, it's like a pillow fight. No one's getting hurt. And I'm like, they're so cautious nowadays with what they do with, you know, head, everyone's worried about head injuries. And I get it. I totally understand, you know, but they're so cautious nowadays. He's nothing to worry about. But so I think that's what I would put down. Uh, please allow your children to play tackle football. They're not going to get hurt. They'll survive something like that because we see it, right, George? We see it. We had, I mean, we had 40 kids on the team this year. That's a time we used to have 80. We used to have 80 on the varsity, maybe more. And I think parents are scared because they see it. On, you know, you, you kind of like all of social media and, and just, er, you know, everything in general, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in your face more, you, and, you know, and they'll show the bad head injury that happened the other day at the Charger game. Like you see that and you're like, oh my God, I can't have my kid play. And those things are going to happen. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a safe, it's, it's become a safe sport because we know that back in the day, we would go back out there with, with, you know, with concussions. I'm sure I had a few concussions and I went back in the game, you know, uh, and I'm somewhat okay now, but that's not the point. The point is that, you know, we don't want your child to go out with a concussion. Those days are over. I'm not, ex I'm not going to say that your child is soft if he has a head injury and doesn't want to go back out there. We're not going to allow him to go back out there. The doctor's not going to allow him. So I wish that parents would be more understanding of this and just kind of, you know, put that nonsense of the, the, you know, the sensationalism of like showing all these head injuries that scare them from playing. Cause it's a shame because it's a great game and it's a great game for life. You know, how many kids are going to the NFL on Staten Island? You know, we, right. There's been a handful over years and years and years. Yeah, that's not what it's about. It's about life. And this game will help your child in life. Like, I really truly believe that. So it's a shame that more aren't playing. And I'll, just, I'll give my commentary as a, I've never been a youth coach. I'll speak for high school and high school only. Is I, the things that we're doing, we're trying to play the game in a way that's safer than we ever yeah, have. Just absolutely. Not, not kicking off, safe. Uh, tackling with our shoulder, not our head, safe. Yeah. yeah. Coach Neville never having us wear lowers during the season, safe. Correct. Like all safer than it was. Perfect um, examples of exactly what goes on yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Neck mobility slash strengthening drill. Like all, all that stuff is really a means to try and help. And I do think that a great part of this game is the physical nature of it because it does, it, a, it builds the camaraderie, it builds the toughness. And I do think that it adds an extra dimension. Like you talked about you having that mindset to overcome cancer. Yeah. Because you were a football player. And I'm not I, saying I, that. And that's the truth. I've said that even back then, you know, when, when I was going through it. You know, I'm, I'm attacking this like as if my doctor's my coach. I'm not questioning him. Whatever he says, I do. And yeah, I trust him. You know, you have no choice. And the same thing, you know, when you're a player now, like this is your coach. This is where you went to school. He's your coach. You got to trust him. An interesting side topic to that is a guy I want to get on the podcast. He, I actually seen him at an MIT data analytics conference talking about CTE. And uh, the, the, the data point that he was making about concussions was it wasn't about the, the one impact that you had. 
it was the number of impacts that you had over the course of your life. Yeah. And the data they found was the longer you played football, the more likely you were to have CTE. So a guy who started when he's five and plays 12 years in the NFL is going to have a much higher likelihood yeah. than a guy who starts, he played basketball and he joined the NFL as a junior in like he comes out of high school, goes to college, plays basketball, and then joins the NFL because he's just a freak athlete like uh, Antonio Gates. He's less likely to have it, even though the concussion, the, the hits are much greater in the NFL. Yeah. So I, I want to get him on at some point because I definitely want to learn more about it. I, no, I only well, have I heard in that presentation. But I think too, I think, you know, and, and obviously even that I wanted to kind of learn more about. And I don't know a lot, but I do know that they say that, you know, without, you know, you kind of, you need, you, you need your brain to heal, you know, and, and I think back in those, you know, in, in early, you know, not even really that long ago, but that, you know, the, the, the time from the concussion happening to the kind of like the playing, you know, starting to play again, wasn't long enough. And it wasn't allowing the brain to heal almost kind of like a broken bone or like, you know, anything like that. And, and that helped caused a lot of CTE, but because of the cautions that they take now and the equipment, things like that as well, I have, you know, have grown, um, you know, the brain is healing now. And, you know, so when they, if they get another concussion, it's not a building on the first one. It's kind of like, you know, you break your ankle, it heals, you go out and play. And then two years later, you break your ankle again. It's not going to cripple you and, and cause you not to walk again because you allowed that initial injury to heal. I think that's something that I thought was intriguing about CTE and about concussions that, you know, um, that I think nowadays is, is kind of dealt with. Like they are allowing the healing part for the brain to happen before you're allowed to play again. You always hear, you know, anyone who's NFL, you know, fan, you concussion protocol, you're in a concussion protocol, you know, they, you know, so I think it's just a safe, safe, safer sport that it's kind of, you know, led up to be, it's a physical, it's a vicious sport. Don't get me wrong, but I think that, and that's why I love it, but I think that, uh, you know, it is, is safer than a lot of people think. Well, you got me motivated to reach out to this guy because I want to learn more about it. He was also yeah, a professional wrestler in the WWE. So this makes the story even more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, John Goldman, Jeremy Goldman's brother, they're both wrestling nuts, but he knew exactly who he was before I even said it. Gotcha. Right, last question for you, Coach. I know I kept you for a long time here. Uh, last question. This is my selfish question. It's the last question I ask every single person on the podcast. What is okay. one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify my life or remove clutter from it? Oof. I mean, if you saw my office, you may, you know, we're on a Zoom, right? So you could probably see a little of my clutter behind me, <laughs> you know? So I'm not the best person to answer that. You know, the only thing I, I could say is that, you know, don't let, things overwhelm you. Uh, and, and, and I'm always, I'm big on mindset. I'm big on having a PMA, a positive mental attitude. You know, you look it up, it's a thing like, you know, Google it. So I'm big on PMA. I have a PMA tattoo, if you may have noticed that on my leg. And, and, you know, so I think that even goes to things like this. Like if you feel like overwhelmed and, you know, things are kind of, you have too much to do and I'm not going to get it done, have a positive mindset and, you know, you're going to get it done. You're right. It's going to happen. If you need to get something done by Friday and you think you're not going to and you're overwhelmed, be, a, be positive, change your mindset and just say to yourself, I'm going to find a way to get this done.
And, and that's the kind of the way I approach things, you know, does it help my, you know, like clutter in my office and, you know, and no, and, and I'm always, I'm the biggest guy on like, you know, you, you, you're given something to do, uh, but you don't have to do it until next Friday. There's no way I'm doing it tomorrow. And that would make the most sense. I'm waiting until next Thursday. That's where I've been my whole life with everything in college, everything with, with school, oh, big time like that. And it's a stupid way to, it's a stupid way to approach things. You know, the principal here, Ken Zapata, will always tell the sixth graders when they come in for orientation, he would tell them, we really encourage everyone here to, to do something after school, play a sport, cheerleading, dance, whatever, basketball, football, you know, but make sure you take care of your school stuff first. When you get home, get it done. Because once it's done, it'll just have, you'll just enjoy what you're going to do after it much, much more. You're not going to have it in your head you know, and have to worry, oh, no, I didn't finish my homework because I put it off because I wanted to play a quick video game, you know, right after school. So now when I'm done with football practice at 730, I still need to do that. And it kind of ruins the practice. And I'm 100 percent on board. I've, I've lived that. I've been there. And he's 100 percent right. But I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I need to be I need to have the pressure of like, OK, you know, I'm not going to do something a week before it needs to be done. I'm always waiting. And it does keep things in the back of my head, like, oh, man, I really need to do that. Damn, like, oh, I still have to get this done or X done or Y done. But the mindset of I'm going to get it done, I know I'm going to, you know, helps in a way. So I guess if, if that's advice, I don't know, but you know, that's what I got for you. Well, I think it is because I'm the guy, I got to get all my homework done for the whole year before I go out and play with my friends. So. Yeah. But it's the, of the stress of I'm not going to get it done. I'm going to I'm going to practice that this week. Of the, I am going to get it done. You're going to get it done. And in the way you're attacking it, I think, is the right way. And that's, again, that's what our principal says. Get it done because then you'll be able to enjoy what you're doing after much, much more. And I agree with that a thousand percent because I won't get it done. So, you know, I'll have stuff that I need to do at work that I'm not getting done. And we'll be, you know, you know, talking after practice in the office, having a, you know, laughing and telling stories and things like that. Right. And I'm um, in the back of my head. No one knows this, obviously, but I'm saying, damn, I still need to do this tomorrow morning when I get up for work. It stinks. I can't believe it. I wish I would have got it done already. It's definitely in my head, but I know I'm going to get it done. And that helps me get through it. Coach, I, I am practicing that when we, when we hang up this call, I'm going to practice that mindset because because I need it. I absolutely need it. That was good. I love it. Yeah. I, and I'm big on mindset. Mindset, I think, is important. So just put that mindset. I'm, good, I'm getting, I'm going to get it done. It's going to happen. You know, if I get it done a week before it needs to be done, great. But if I get it done the day before, the night before, hours before, I'm going to get it done. I'm confident. I know I'm going to get it done. And that will help, helps me get through it. I know I'm going to do it. I'm looking at a list. I wrote this yesterday when I got home from vacation, get home at night. And I, I wrote down the 60 things that I need to do before June. And I've been thinking, how the hell am I going to get this done? Now I'm going to think I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get it done. The fact that you have that list is amazing to me, George. But I'm, I, you know, knowing you now, I'm not surprised. And I wish I could do something like that. <laughs> Make that list. That would be great. I probably I could use it. You know, I probably have 60 things in my house that I need to get done by June that I won't get done. But having a list would help. And I, you know, I would love to do that. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that, doing something like that more once, you know, the season starts again. Um, but uh, yeah, but that's, that's, you're going to get it done. You're going to get it done. Going to get it done, baby. PMA. <laughs> All right, coach, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, this was great. I, I cannot wait for some of our players to listen to it, to get inside your head. Uh, I was, this was awesome. I was looking forward to this. 
and, you know, listening to some of your other things, the OBK, you know, uh, OKB, uh, OK, what is it? OKG, you look at this, OKG. I got all my letters mixed up, you know, I love the OKG, I made my son listen to it, and when I heard it, because you get, you sent it to me and said, I think you'll like this, and I did, and my son, who just, you know, was playing football, and then stopped, and then decided to start again, you know, when he went to high school, uh, you know, um, I said, you listen to this right now, and make sure you're paying attention, and then now I keep on saying, Where's the OKG? Where's, where's the, you better be an OK. I use it all the time. It's like driving him crazy, but I don't care. I want it to ingrain in his head. And I said, don't keep it available. You're listening to it again. You're going to continue to listen to this multiple times because that's the mentality you need to have on what's being told and what's being said in that podcast, you know? I love it. If you haven't heard it, I think it's like episode 168. Go give it a listen. Be an OB. Yeah. Coach Maraconda's OKG, man. We, we need more of those guys. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, coach. Talk to you soon. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, George. Take care. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes, but I refuse to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your Element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drink, lmnt.com, backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today.